So good morning. Thank you all for coming. I'm assuming that you can hear me. Um, and I'm assuming that we're here together because we're interested in teaching healthcare and missions. I see all these heads nodding. That's great. Um, so let's get started. Um, first of all, I just wanted to talk about the need for healthcare ministry, um, teaching ministry. Um, these light-colored countries here that you see, predominantly in Africa, obviously a few in Asia, represents um, one healthcare educator, or less than one and a half healthcare educators for every 10,000 people. So as you can, or every 1,000 rather. So as you can see, the greatest need for healthcare educators is here in Africa. Sub-Saharan Africa. I was obviously here in Uganda doing that very thing. So there's a huge need, at least in Africa and, and in Asia, for healthcare workers who are interested in education to get involved in that. Um, the doors are wide open for us to do that. Um, obviously, there's some need in South America, but predominantly Africa and here in Asia. Um, for us to get involved there. Um, just because I was in Africa, and I have the statistics about sub-Saharan Africa, I thought we would just look at the differences and what, what makes this need so great. Um, obviously, here in America, we have 14% of the world's population. We have 10% of the world's disease burden, um, but we have 42% of the healthcare workers in the world. And we, we spend greater than 50% of the healthcare expenditure in the, the Americas, as opposed to Sub-Saharan Africa that has 11% of the world's population, 25% of the world's disease burden, only 3% of the healthcare workers, and less than 1% of the world expenditure on health goes on in Africa. So I think it's pretty, these statistics to me were really sobering to see the, the vast disparity of the need here and how much, um, the kind of resources that we have compared to the kind of resources that we have over there. So we have a resource that's exportable. And um, I'm praying this morning that God would move in some of your hearts to be those people that go over to meet that need. Okay. Um, the Global Forum on Health met, um, it's fun for me because this is in Kampala where I was, but it's called the Kampala Decla Declaration. So at their latest meeting in 2008, they called for governments to governments and civil society and the private sector and professional organizations to strengthen the leadership and management at all capacities in healthcare. So the call has gone out from the Global Forum on Health Resources to do the very thing that we're talking about this morning. Um, with an emphasis on education, training, and development. And I think that's really significant and important that the call has gone out just two years ago for us who have the ability to be involved in this kind of activity. Um, and then they're calling for student and faculty exchanges as well. So not only for us to go there, but for us to think about ways to bring faculty and students from the developing world here in fair exchanges, and that's a subject near and dear to my heart. When I was in Africa, I saw a lot of Americans coming to Uganda, but not very many Ugandans having the opportunity to come here or to go to England or those kind of places for those kind of exchanges. But there were huge exchanges taking place, huge number of faculty coming short-term to Uganda. So I personally would really like to see that be a fair exchange as well. It was sort of exciting for me for some of our nursing students to go to Sweden to have the opportunity to work on um, higher degrees and those kind of things. And that was just a beginning thing in 2008. But directly in response to the Global Health um, Forum and that meeting that happened in Kampala. Um, the World or Health Organization as well in their general program on work um, made it as a top priority between 2006 and 2015 to mobilize human resources for health. So we're looking at the Global Health Forum and we're looking at the World Health Organization who are making a call to those of us who are prepared in healthcare to provide and meet this need. So there's that call as well out of the World Health Organization. And I think for us as Christians and believers and followers of Jesus that we have even greater call to think about what God is calling us to do in terms of um, elevating our brothers and sisters in Christ and helping them to meet the needs of health care in their country, to bring training to them, to uh, 
help them to mobilize and to reach their country um, with healthcare workers. Um, I think there are trends in healthcare and missions as well. There's a big move away from opening new mission hospitals towards health education of nationals. And I think that's probably the way for us to go. I mean, traditionally, we've all been involved in, um, the missions community has been involved in going out to developing the developing world, building hospitals, um, bringing missionary healthcare workers, doing some training at minimal levels, and then um, continuing to work in that model. Um, and I think these days, because of the economy and the, the great expense it is to keep mission hospitals going, it's important for us to train nationals to do that work um, and to be involved in that and to help them be educated at the level that they can staff those mission hospitals as well. So there's a real trend in, in missions as well, moving towards healthcare education. Um, when we think about what do we need to, how do we need to prepare ourselves in order to be involved? Um, obviously, if you want to teach medicine, if you, it's the same kind of things that we need here. Um, medical degrees, you finish your residency. Those of us who are nurses, um, the World Health Organization has also um, put out a recommendation that BSN level, level education is the minimum. Obviously, if you want to teach, that requires much more than that. Um, I was teaching with a master's degree because at the time that I was in Uganda, there, there were very few master's prepared nurses in the country. There was no um, university preparing nurses at the master's level. We had just started the first BSN program in the country in 1993. It opened. Grace was involved, and it was an interesting thing for us. Grace was involved in writing that curriculum in Uganda, and then I arrived in the country and began teaching that curriculum that she had helped develop. Uh, and we didn't find that out until several years later, but we're involved in that. So certainly um, minimum BSN, and obviously if you think about it, you need one degree beyond the people that you're teaching, so you need to be prepared at a master's level. Um, advanced practice nurses, particularly in Africa, there's a need for midwifery. Um, and maternal child health is a huge need there. Um, and then bachelor's, master's degrees in the other allied health professions as well. I think we saw in Uganda, and I can only speak to my experience in Uganda, um, we saw some level, um, some education beginning to take place for physical therapy, radiology, pharmacy, those kind of things at the university level. And that was just a new trend within the country. Um, most of that was being done more on the diploma certificate kind of level. But we had just, Uganda had just changed their university education to involve pharmacy and physical therapy, occupational therapy, those allied health professions at the university level under the new College of Health Sciences. And that was just starting last fall in that change in curriculum. So that's beginning as well, certainly in capital city areas, certainly not out in rural areas at this point in time. Um, obviously, PhD, um, ED, educa education doctorates, would be important. Uganda now has the first three, H, three, first three PhD prepared nurses in the entire country have come out of the Makerere University system. That's very exciting for us to see. Um, so that as well, certainly to go out and to partner with universities in medical education, nursing education at the doctoral level is very important. I think also when you think about that, you need skills in adult education. Um, you know, how do you teach at the university level? Um, I always think some knowledge in tropical medicine is very significant and very important. If you're thinking about preparing yourself to go out there, there are certainly tropical diseases that we've never seen in America that we, we need to be aware of if we're going to teach others about it. Um, some experience in research um, is always helpful. Certainly you can pick that up within the country as you get involved in the, in the faculty. Um, and obviously language and cultural acquisition is extremely important. If you, um, I was fortunate in Uganda to teach in English because English is their national, national language of education. So that was um, much easier. But I think if you're going to prepare yourself to teach overseas, you need to be teaching in the language that your students know. Certainly those things are possible to do through translators, but they're not nearly as effective if you think about being in the classroom to do that. 
So as you think about your future preparation for that, I just wanted to throw out some of these things for you to be thinking about and how you can acquire that kind of experience, that kind of knowledge as you go out to teach in those areas. Um, I spent a lot of time because our students were the most highly educated nurses in the country. They were expected to know how to do research at the undergraduate level. So I spent a lot of years teaching research in Uganda among those undergraduate level nurses. And I always think that they produce better research than I did in my master's program. So it was exciting to see that, but it's exciting for me to see as well that they're developing now at the master's and PhD level as well. Um, and then just, just to be with them in those young universities that are just beginning to begin those, that kind of education and to have the opportunity to walk with them through the curriculum, to walk with them as they come back from, um, obviously Ugandans needed to leave the country in order to get their PhDs, but to come back with them and to help them learn how to translate their newly acquired education to be culturally appropriate in their own country was exciting for me to see as well. I mean, then I think we, we th as missionaries, need to be thinking of our spiritual and theological preparation as well. Um, we need to be men and women of the word. As you go out, as you think about going out to be involved in healthcare, you have the whole variety of opportunities to Im impact people's spiritual lives as well, just because we go there as representatives of Jesus. So we need to be people of the word. Um, men and women of prayer. I can't tell you the countless times I had opportunities to pray with my students, which is something I'm sure doesn't happen very often in, in universities here in America, but just opportunities to pray with them, to hear about what was going on in their lives, and to be able to, to share with them out of Scripture what God would have them do, how God would have them lead their, lead their lives, and, and be in prayer with them about that. Um, I had the opportunity in my classroom, I could be very open about who I was as a Christian. And when I taught ethics, I, it was very easy for me to say, I make ethical decisions based on what Scripture says. And that's the basis out of which I'm sharing with you. Um, that's not the case in all countries, and we're going to talk in a, a little bit about using healthcare education to get into closed access countries. But where I was in Uganda, I had great freedom to be involved in the students' spiritual lives. And that was one of the really rewarding things for me, to be able to do that. Obviously, people of compassion were people involved in healthcare. That's kind of a given among all of us, I think. And then just ask yourself, do I need theological education? Many mission agencies that would send you out would re require you to have that before you go. Um, if they don't require it, it's just I'm throwing it out for you, just something to think about. Do I need to be prepared from a theological basis based on the kind of things I think that I might get involved in as I teach, as I become a professor in various universities around the world. And then I think the opportunities are huge. I, it's just a very exciting area for me. Um, in academic settings, obviously there are university faculty appointments. I was appointed as an honorary lecturer, which simply meant that they didn't have to pay me. <laughs> I just, and I, I remember very vividly when I heard that there was this Bachelor of Nursing Science program at McCary University, walking into their office one day and speaking to the director and saying to her, here's my resume, this is what I can offer. She was very hesitant, you know, well, that's very nice, I'm very happy that you've come to talk to me and those kind of things. And then I said, um, and by the way, you don't need to pay me. I come with a salary. And she said, oh, could you start teaching on Monday? <laughs> I was like, well, not on Monday, but I could start teaching. So I was appointed just in the same way that Ugandan faculty were appointed. I, care, I had some of the same responsibilities. I had the opportunity to sit on faculty boards to look at what was going on in the university and the faculty of medicine, which at that time was was the responsible party for all of the healthcare education going on at the university. They've since changed that. They, they now have a faculty of medicine and a um, college of health sciences that looks at the allied health parts of, of um, healthcare education in Uganda. But faculty appointments, um, up until 2008, um, you could only be an honorary lecturer. Now the university's changed it where you can be an honorary associate professor, honorary professor, and move up the tenured ranks along with 
the um, employed faculty that they have. So I know some people are looking, uh, thinking about going overseas and then say, but you know, my, my academic career then stops. I'm stuck at a certain level then because I'm not here in the United States. But my experience was that we could move up that tenured ladder as well in, in an honorary position. And I think that's a real advantage that we have as going out as supported healthcare workers to be able to meet that need without having to impact their budget when, you know, that earlier slide showed us that they have one, less than 1% of the resources spent on health. If we can help that budget in a small way by offering our services to them without the requirement of pay, that's beneficial. Again, in some of the closed access countries, you want to go there and be employed by the university because that's your door to access that country. So that's a whole different thing to think about. Um, in Uganda, it was important for me that I wasn't taking a position away from a qualified Ugandan. Um, it was a, a number of years before there were qualified Ugandans to fill those positions. When I joined the faculty, there was myself and two Ugandans teaching in the program. Yeah, so it was a great need. Um, we did a lot of teaching in those days and were very busy meeting all of that academic requirement. And during the time that I was there, it was just exciting for me to be part of watching the faculty grow. I remember sitting in my last faculty meeting as I looked around the table and saw that there were 15 Ugandans and myself and thinking to myself, perhaps I need to think about what God would be asking me to do because we've done the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah, I did, because you, at that time Uganda was looking at what, how did they want to educate their healthcare workers? At what level did they want them to be? And they had come to the conclusion that they needed to educate them at the university level. So yeah, we were teaching in a program very much like all of the undergraduate programs you would see here in the United States. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, in the end, as I looked at the program, it was more at the master's level because we required them to do um, research and to produce the research paper, not to just prevent, present the proposal, but to follow through with that entire research process. We required them, they graduated as nurse midwives. We required them to deliver 20 babies before they graduated. They were deeply involved in um, community health. And the program was greatly focused on what were the needs in Uganda, and that was it, to have re people prepared who could do research, um, be able to answer the needs for maternal child health problems in Uganda, and to be able to work in the community is really the people that we were um, developing in that program. So, yeah, it was very much a high level. And like I said, the research that my students did would put my master's level research to shame sometimes. I was really always excited and incredibly amazed at the kind of ideas they came up with to do with their research and how they carried that out. And as you walked through them, through that with them, what they learned and what they had to offer, and many of those papers have now been published in some of the scientific journals around the world, usually the European journals, but they are out there. Um, and then I think of, just back to opportunities, you know, talking about developing curriculum, but the opportunity to think about what does this cross-cultural curriculum look like? I mean, certainly we, we couldn't take a curriculum from the United States, even though it looked very similar, and just drop it in into Uganda or Kenya or Ethiopia or wherever you're going to be, um, Indonesia. Think about the program was developed so that it met the needs, the healthcare needs of the country at the time. And just to be involved in looking at that as we made curriculum changes over the years that reflected the needs that the country had, um, and just to be involved in that. Um, and then inter-university partnerships, like I talked about earlier, just being able to do faculty exchanges. Um, there were great needs. When I would go on home assignment, there was no one to teach my classes. Um, and many times, God would provide. All of a sudden, there would be some visiting faculty person who was available to come and spend six months. And one time, I was on a year furlough, and someone came from the University of California and said, you know, my specialty is in research, and I'd really like to teach research, and I'm planning to hang around in Uganda for about a year. And I was thinking, well, here she is, you know, <laughs> ready to, to meet that need and to fit in and 
and to teach the, the research course for me. I think, too, when we think about healthcare education, it certainly is an entrance into limited access countries. Um, there's that crying need that we saw in the first slide, and it certainly is a way for us to get into a place where we might not be able to go with that title of missionary, but you certainly can go in there with that title of professor, that title of lecturer, um, and, and even apply many times to apply for um, paid positions that they, where they need faculty. And yet you know that you go there as a representative of Jesus Christ. Um, I think those opportunities are huge in those countries right now. Um, it was exciting as well to, to realize that from a faculty position, you could influence healthcare in the nation. Um, I, because I was on the faculty, I was often invited by my Ugandan colleagues to go with them to the meetings of the National Nursing Council or meetings in the Ministry of Health. I know when Grace was there, she was deeply involved in writing the AIDS curriculum for HIV AIDS prevention in Uganda. And, and I was involved in writing standards of practice for nursing care throughout the country of Uganda just because I was on the faculty at Makerere University and as a missionary being able to influence at that high level to interact with um, many of the, the highest people in the country involved in health care. Um, just be, to be able to influence that at a national level and to think about the kind of standards that are set in Uganda today because of the nursing faculty and, the, and because they would just drag me along. You know, you're one of us. Come with us to this meeting. And I would think, you know, there is no way I would ever meet the Secretary of Health and Human Services here in the United States. But I often sat at the table with the Minister of Health in Uganda or the uh, Commissioner of Nursing for the entire country of Uganda, just because I had faculty at the university who valued my presence with them, and just because the Lord opened those doors for me. So it was an exciting ministry, an exciting time to be there and to see what was going on. And then as you think about the students that you influence, how is God going to use them in the future in their country? What kind of leaders are they going to be? You know, as I would often stand in front of my freshman class and think, what is God going to do with these students in the future? Um, I see my students today in very exciting positions all over Uganda um, because of the education they received at the university. And, I, and it's um, one of those things that's very exciting to me, many of them were followers of Jesus, and they're very influ influential in their positions today and what they're doing um, in the country of Uganda because of the education that they had. Um, our three Ph.D. students, I'll just talk about them. I was going to talk about them a little later, but let me just mention that while I'm thinking about it now. One of them has had it, got his Ph.D. in the United States and ended up spending seven years here in this country, and that brings up all those questions that we have, you know, about how do we keep them in Uganda. Um, we would love to have kept him in Uganda, but he um, came back to the United States and then came back and taught with us for a while, and then he was offered an, a position in the Middle East. Um, and the faculty, of course, was very disappointed that he accepted that position in the Middle East and is gone from Uganda. But as I was in Uganda in September and met with him, I said, Joshua, I just want to remind you of one thing as you go to the Middle East. I know you're going there to teach in the university over there, and because of the, the amount of salary that they're going to pay you, which you could never receive in Uganda, but I just want to remind you that I know that you're a follower of Jesus. We've talked about this many years, in the years that we've known one another. And I said, I just want you to remember that you go there as a representative of Jesus Christ. And he said, you know, Connie, I know you're very disappointed that I'm leaving Uganda, but I know that I go to the Middle East and I will represent Jesus while I'm there. So that was an exciting thing for me as I'm thinking, you know what, you need to think about the fact that you've prepared national missionaries as well um, and the kind of people he'll influence in that university there as he remains true to his calling uh, from, from the Lord himself and teaching there. Um, obviously, our other two PhDs are very busy teaching in the faculty, um, and that, that was one of the things as I looked at them and I said, you know, you guys have one more degree beyond me at this time. You're 
often flying out of the nest at this point in time and the kind of things that they'll be able to do because they're prepared at that level. So what I really saw my role is was to fill those holes until we could raise up the faculty, um, grow the faculty actually out of Uganda. And I think that's one of the things we need to think about as well. What can we do to increase their level of education and how can we help them plug the holes that they have as, as healthcare workers and then as representatives of, of Christ as well. Um, so there's just huge opportunities available to us. Obviously, I don't want to forget about mission hospitals. You know, certainly there are many, many mission hospitals around the world that have nursing schools. Many of them are doing surgical training. And for those of you involved in medicine sitting here, I'm sorry that this is so nursing-laden, but that's my, my heart and my background. But um, certainly there, I know there are surgical training programs out of mission hospitals around um, Africa as well. I mean, then just think about missionaries who have been out in the field for a number of years who um, don't have as many opportunities for continuing education as those of us who live in the United States. As you go there, even on a short term, think about what you can share with them, what kind of um, advances they may not have seen that Technology and those kind of things. Technology doesn't always work over there. We don't always have the electricity when we need it, the water when we need it, those kind of things. But just sharing what we know um, and sharing the level, the newest things that are going on um, in the field of healthcare um, with those missionaries. And, and obviously, we have the opportunity to multiply and disciple national believers as well. I, I always sometimes thought. You know, if I'm having a Bible study with my students here, and there are other students who are not involved in the Bible study now, are they going to think that I give better grades to these students that are in my Bible study? Um, actually, that never happened to me. I always had someone else who was leading a Bible study where my nursing students were involved, and I was leading Bible studies with other university students who came to the student ministry, so I never had to deal with that. But it was something I thought about often, like would that be perceived in a bad way? And I was always prepared to make sure that that didn't happen. But you have great opportunities in countries that where you're the faculty and where there are student ministries to get involved in that as well. Uganda has a huge um, ministry called FOCUS, the Fellowship of Christian Unions in Uganda, which is part of the inter International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. Um, there are certainly – my mission agency had a university fellowship on Friday nights called TGIF. Um, where there were often 400 university students there. And so I, in my early days in Uganda, I would go hang out with them and um, have those opportunities as well for discipleship. And like I said, in my classroom, that was – Uganda, of course, is a, unique, I think, in many areas of the world. But I think Africa, generally speaking, is very open to the gospel. The Uganda Constitution calls for freedom of religion. So it was never a problem for me to be who I was in front of my classroom. And I remember one time one of the students said to me, um, Madame, I, I think we should start the class with prayer today. I was like, oh, great. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay, it was something I hadn't thought of. But we did that very often. Um, and that was never an issue. That was something they always thought was very important, was to, to bring their faith into the classroom. And I think sometimes here in America we really struggle with that. Um, Nurses Christian Fellowship, of which I'm involved these days, one of the things we do is to help nurses see how to integrate their faith and practice. And I think in, among my students in Uganda that was very much all together, faith and practice of nursing and all, all of life was very spiritual for them. And when you could direct that in the, in the right direction, it was a really valuable thing to watch them grow in their faith as well. So I just wanted to talk, talk a lot about um, my experience at Makerere University, um, being part of the Faculty of Medicine in the Department of Nursing. Um, it was just a, a wonderful experience for me to be able to do that, to interact with students on a daily basis, to walk into the hospital with them. I didn't do a lot of their clinical teaching. The Ugandans did a lot of that. I taught fundamentals in nursing one year. I remember this very vividly. And um, one of my Ugandan faculty came back to me and said, what have you taught the students? 
I was like, what do you mean? What have I taught the students? I've taught them fundamentals of nursing. Um, Uganda works on the British model, which is a bit different than the American model. So I had taught them American nursing practice in the hospital, which was very different from the British model. Uh, just for a little example, um, you know how we will take a syringe and draw up our medicine and the alcohol swab and walk into the room and give our injection. Well, in, in uh, Britain, you have a little tray and your syringe and, uh, and your alcohol swab, and you must carry your syringe into the room on the tray. Well, I didn't teach my students to do it that way. So my Ugandan colleagues were a bit horrified by that. And that was the last time I taught fundamentals of nursing practice. <laughs> Okay, then. So I, I did many non-clinical classes. I taught research and administration and um, our ethics class, issues in nursing. That was a very exciting thing for me as an American, to teach issues of nursing in Uganda. I had to figure out what the issues were <laughs> so that I could teach them about the trends in nursing in Uganda and, and those kind of things. But that was always, for me, that was always an intellectual test. You know, how do I, how do I teach this class and how do I make it culturally relevant to my students today? And what's going on in nursing in Uganda? And, and that kept me on top of nursing in Uganda as well. You know, what's going on in the Ministry of Health? What's going on in the Nursing Council? What kind of laws are they passing that I need to be aware of? Um, and when I think of laws, let me just mention as well, um, because I think sometimes we overlook this. Um, as I worked with the Nursing Council, I became well aware of the laws of getting licensed in Uganda as a nurse. Um, and I had pursued that when I first got there. It's like, how do I become registered as a nurse in the country of Uganda? Because I want to practice here and I want to function within your laws. So I was very well aware of what those laws were. So I think it's important for us to be aware of that, to not assume that we can walk into another country and practice without being licensed or registered in the country. Um, in Uganda, it's much, much easier to get registered as a, as a physician than it is as a nurse. The requirements are very different. And even as a, for a temporary, they have temporary registration as well. And I noticed that the doctors get registered for two years, whereas the nurses get registered for six months on a temporary basis. On the other hand, I um, got my permanent registration in Uganda for $100. Um, and that was good for three years. And then to renew that, it turned out to be 12,000 shillings, which was about $3. So the price is right as well. But um, I think it's important for us to be aware of that. What are the requirements? You know, if, if I'm going to go into a country as a healthcare educator, what do I need to do to be recognized by the government? Not only by the university, but to be in, in um, maintaining the laws of the country. And obviously, if I was teaching nursing issues for the students, I needed to be able to teach them what they needed to do after they graduated to get their license. So there were exciting times to be involved in Uganda. It was, and I think those trends are happening all over Africa. And um, I can't speak to Asia, unfortunately, but I would guess that they are very much the same in those kind of opportunities if they're crying for um, healthcare educators to come and help them. That. It's important for us to get there and to abide by their laws as well. Um, just, you know, low-tech. I always think of this picture. This was taken several years ago, obviously. But still, when I was teaching in 2008, we would develop the PowerPoint and be all ready to go to class and find that there was no electricity that day in the classroom. So I was always prepared to do blackboard stuff, even... Um, even today, if I went to Uganda, I'd be ready to teach using the Blackboard as well. But to be involved in curriculum development was an exciting thing for me. Looking at what, is, what are these nurses, what do these nurses in Uganda, what do they need to know? How are we going to get them prepared at the level they need to be and what are the resources we need? We would look at our curriculum every three years and update that and make the changes that we saw were necessary. And the program today looks very different than the program in the early days. Um, they, Makere University have a, had a partnership with Maastricht University out of the Netherlands, and they changed their entire curriculum into problem-based learning. And we, when we think about critical thinking skills, it was a, just amazing for me to watch students work in the problem-based curriculum and to see them 
able to solve those problems, to come up with the solutions, to come up with their objectives for that day and to work through that kind of thing. But that was a huge change in the curriculum. Um, most of the medical education in, in Uganda was done by lectures. There would be 300 students in a, in a lecture theater, and that was the only way it was done. It was just the professor would stand there and, and would lecture at the students, and they would write notes. And there were very few textbooks um, and so the students would have to take voluminous notes about what was going on. Um, my students in the nursing program, there would be one textbook, um, which was many of the textbooks that we had were given to us by university professors here that I had connections with out of my um, Sigma Theta Tau Honor Society. One of my, my um, colleagues there would go around to her classmate or her colleagues and say, which of these textbooks that you've been given by the publishers are you not going to use? Because we're collecting them and we're sending them to the nursing program at Makere University in Kampala. And those were the textbooks my students had. Obviously, American textbooks that we needed to then make culturally appropriate for them as well. But now with the problem-based learning curriculum and, and the access that we have to the Internet from time to time, if the electricity is on and if the computers are working, <laughs> the students have the opportunity to do that kind of research now that they didn't have before. But um, that's still a, a give and take. It happens some days when the power is on at the university and when the, the computers are working, the students have access to those kind of resources. But it's not always a given. Um, and, you know, and Uganda is not alone in that, I'm sure. But that was a, a big change that we saw, helping them develop problem-solving skills. You know, it was just exciting for me to see them develop and have the opportunity to teach them how to do those things. To, because in the past, it was A plus B always equals C. There is no other, other answer to that situation. This set of symptoms always means this. It never means anything else. I remember very clearly um, I was involved in opening a burn unit at, McCary, at Malago Hospital. That's a whole other story. But I remember being with the, nurse, the practicing nurses there one day, and we had calculated this burn patient's fluid requirement, and I... We were working on that together, and I explained to her what that fluid requirement was and, you know, what, what rate are you going to run this fluid at? And she said, oh, I'm not going to do that. And I said, well, why not? And she said, well, this patient is swollen. And I said, well, yes, indeed, they are. You know, very typical burn patients, you know, the increased capillary permeability and this, the swelling happens, and I see heads nodding and all that. And I said, well, yes, he's swollen, and we've talked about you know, I spent six months doing education with them before this unit opened and how they were going to care for burn patients. And I said, we talked about this in class, remember? She said, yes, but swelling means heart failure means restrict fluids. And I said, no, 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 and we went back to that again and again. But this was certainly not, I mean, I'm proud to say it was not one of my graduates, but that was the, the kind of thinking that was pervasive among the nursing staff and just helping them to understand that this kind of swelling is different from the kind of swelling we see in heart patients, just as an example. But having critical thinking skills and problem-solving skills um, is very significant for them. And, and as an educator, an opportunity for you to develop them and develop those skills. Um, I had opportunities as well to participate on faculty boards, which was, as I've mentioned before, to interact with people at that level. I would sit in the faculty board meeting with um, the medical staff of the medical school and the director of the public health program and those kind of things. And I, I'll tell you another story about that one day. I, I had a problem with... Um, we were teaching nursing management in a problem-based curriculum, so it was a three-week course, and two of my students had missed a full week of class. And so I said, you know, I'm really sorry you don't qualify to sit for the final exam, and I'm sorry, but you're going to have to repeat this course. Well, they then went to the dean at the Faculty of Medicine at the time, of which we were under, and, you know, complained to him. And I remember I was standing in the parking lot of church, actually, on a Saturday afternoon, and my phone rang, and it was the dean of students saying, I have two of your nursing students here in my office, and they're complaining to me about you and this course that you failed them from. And I, and I went on to explain, well, you know, the university has a policy called the 
you know, certificate of attendance. You have to have attended class in order to sit for the exam, and they have not attended class. And I said, but you're the dean, and if you want me to go ahead and let them sit for an exam that they weren't prepared for, you're the dean, and Mr. Dean, I'll do what you want me to do. He said, oh, no, no, Connie, I don't want you to do that. I understand what you're saying. He said, no, no, they, you're right. They'll have to repeat the class, and you know, do it properly. So I'm sitting in a faculty board meeting several weeks later, and I hear him say, well, you know, Connie Jarlsberg is here as we're developing this discipline committee, and I think we should have her be the head of this discipline (laughs) committee for the faculty of medicine. I was like, okay, then, I can see we're on the same wavelength, finally. I turned down that great opportunity. But... (laughs) But, you know, we are recognized, obviously, for the contributions that we do as expatriates involved in health education. I think, too, as we go on talking about opportunities we have as well, obviously there are great opportunities for evangelism in the classroom. As you interact with students, as, as they find out who you are and what you believe, and um, that you are actually fair to them in ways that not all of their faculty are. That was one of the things the students always said to me but you're so fair with us. And I said, well, I, I hope that I'm a woman of integrity, and that's why I'm here. But And do discipleship, um, developing leaders. Um, it was just not only among the students, but among the young faculty. What we did is in, the, in our early graduates, we would choose four people out of our graduating class and say, would you like to remain here at the university and become teaching assistants for us, and we will groom you into teaching positions later. So to be able to mentor that young faculty that we literally grew out of the department was was an exciting thing as well. And obviously now I'm standing before you saying three of those students have exceeded me in an an additional degree, and there are many of them working on master's degrees right now and and still teaching for us. when we've been able to send them to places like South Africa to get specialty um, clinical degrees and pediatrics and those kind of um, pediatrics and medical surgical nursing and those kind of things. Um, so, yeah, to just have interactions with faculty and students. I remember one day sitting with the director of the department, and it was just the two of us in an office, and I should say that all the faculty shared one office. Our situation at McCary University was we had one office and one classroom. We admitted 20 students to the nursing program because we had 20 chairs in the classroom. Didn't reflect our need at all, but that was the situation. So we had 20 chairs, so we had 20 students. But we were sitting in the office together, just the two of us one day, this office that was set up for, I think we had eight faculty at the time. But she turned to me and she said, you know, Connie, I'm thinking about getting saved, and that's the phrase that Ugandans use for, you know, that old phrase of becoming a Christian. And I, I said to her, well, I can help you with that. <laughs> you know, but after being there for a number of years, just out of the blue, I'm thinking about getting saved. And, you know, so be there in the, in the faculty office and to be able to talk to her about the gospel and be able to share with her how it was, that what she needed to do, to become a follower of Jesus was just incredible for me to think about that and the influence that she's continued to have among students um, in that place. I just wanted to talk a little bit about one of my colleagues just to encourage you that it's not all about nursing. I have a a colleague with um, my Mission World Venture who's teaching medicine in Mozambique with his wife and young children. just a, I was down there to visit him a year ago in September. Just an incredible opportunity that he has. He's, the, he's at a Catholic university, but again, he was saying to me, you know, Connie, I have great freedom in the classroom, just like those things that you've, you've talked about when we met in America. Um, great freedom to work with the students. And, and his wife is an ethnomusicologist. She helps Mozambicans use traditional music in worship. So they have students at their house, and Megan leads worship, and Brian does um, discipleship with them, along with being their faculty um, member. His specialty is emergency medicine, but he's teaching a wide variety of things in Mozambique today. So the doors are wide open for those of us who are interested in education and healthcare. Um, wide open doors for all kinds of opportunities to be influential. 
So I'm around if you want to talk more. We've got about five minutes left for questions, but I just wanted to mention as well that InterVarsity has a program for emerging scholars, and that's the website and the connection that you can make. If you're interested in education, there's help available for you to figure out how, what you need to do in order to do that, um, not only overseas but in, in the United States as well. So with these few minutes that we have left, I've talked a lot. If, yeah, in the back. Mm -hmm. um, I just retired from doing a master's program um, in the public university in Tanzania. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So I was there for the whole year and, like, privately enrolled in the program. And so I would just, coming from, like, a Christian background, too, like, I would be so burdened in teaching class every single day and realizing mm -hmm. the huge secular influence that these professors have on my fellow students. Um, and so I think Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's exciting. I hadn't, yeah, it was something I didn't mention. Yeah, enrolling in a university, that's another unique opportunity that you have here, and then I'll come back to you. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, I always maintain my American license. It's not always easy. It's getting easier now. Um, Christian Medical Dental Society put, does their continuing education for medicine. They were always very gracious and allowed several nurses to attend that program. So we, would able, we were able to do that every couple of years. I did a lot of online education. Um, a lot of my preparation for teaching I was able to use some of that for continuing education as well. Yeah, it's not always easy, but I think it's really important to maintain your American license. Yeah, I'm here and then there. Um, did you have teaching education here in the States before you I didn't. I, I often wish that I had. I, I didn't really have any formal education education courses. I kind of learned as I went. My students were very gracious to put up with me many times. But yeah, I, I kind of learned as I went along. But I felt like I, it was just one of the things the Lord laid on my heart that I could, I could have been a, a nurse practicing in a mission hospital, for example, but I just felt that it was more important to multiply myself you know, to educate 20 students to go out and take care of patients just seemed much more effective to me. Um, to do it that way. I, I learned a lot over the years. I hope my teaching skills improved. Those students were very gracious in the early days. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a long story how I end, actually ended up in Uganda. I was there for um, 12 years. I taught for 10 and a half of those years while I was there. I was initially involved in Uganda in an HIV-AIDS prevention program, teaming up with Ugandans at the time. That was still a crisis in the country. That's what I did early on. And, and then I continued to do that part-time and teach part-time. I actually ended up in Uganda because I had started out in Zaire, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, the country was falling apart in 1996 and 1997, and my um, Congolese partners, um, the director of the nursing school there. I taught in the little, our mission nursing school there in the bush in my early days as a missionary nurse. I, I taught in French in those days, but I always said that I spoke and God worked a miracle, and when it got to my students' ears, it really was French <laughs> because they actually learned. Um, but yeah, the director of the nursing school and the surgeon from the hospital and the administrator came to me one day and said, you know, Connie, we love you and we want you to stay here, but it's so dangerous for you to be here and your white skin makes you like a torch and we can't protect you. So would you please go 
to Uganda. And in the meantime, we had been out of the country in Uganda, and I had actually heard about the AIDS prevention program at that time, and it became a real burden on my heart. But I kept saying to the Lord, I know you've called me to Zaire, Congo, and I really can't go to Uganda to work in this AIDS program. But suddenly he had opened that door. So, yeah, I I left. uh, And we lived right near the border. We were about 15 kilometers from the Uganda border, about 10 hours from the capital city of Kampala. But, yeah, I left the Congo under pretty difficult circumstances. But God clearly opened that door for me to work in Uganda. And then it was one of my missionary colleagues who said, by the way, there's a new bachelor's program at the university. He also taught at the university, um, taught in mass communications and the religious studies program, and is still there doing that. But it was because of his connections at the university that I was able to do that when we were there. Yeah, if you want to hear all the details of that story, it's really inc- <laughs> one of the Lord's things, yeah. Um, how did you or your students deal with, um, you know, when they were coming out of a program where they were trained in critical thinking, and then all of a sudden they were working with the mm-hmm. and on the boards and for not and wanted to do things the traditional way? How did they deal with that? For instance, if, you know, you talked about the burning setting. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome that? Yeah, um... Sadly, I would say that the vast majority of our students didn't go into clinical practice. Um, that was one. That's one of the things that still saddens me, because you know that, that of course was my dream. As you, as you get a critical mass of highly educated nurses who go in and change the culture, um, they would more often go into teaching positions, um, research positions. There's a collaboration between McCary University and Johns Hopkins working on. Um, HIV-AIDS research, and Case Western Reserve University has a program working on tuberculosis research. They would move into those positions. But I, I, there, is a, um, there are some of them moving into cl- clinical nursing at this point in time. They find it very difficult. Um, what they often said to me was, you know, the nurses just don't do anything, and they leave it all for me. One of my students came and said, as a graduate came and said, you know, Connie, you taught me to love clinical nursing, but I just can't do it. They just leave me alone to do it by myself. So I think, again, as we get more graduates and get them into clinical settings, they're going to be able to change that. Um, I think they're doing great. Our students are doing wonderful things in community health. Um, it's amazing to see them out in the villages doing that kind of work. So it's not all in vain, obviously. But I'm a very hospital-based nurse, I must confess. Grace is the community health person, keeps me balanced. But, um, yeah, that would be my dream for them to do that. And I, and I hope to see that one day. But I think it becomes you've got to get the critical mass out there. I mean, at this point in time, we only have 250 graduates in a country of 24 million. So the need is still very great. But, yeah, they were frustrated by that as well. I see my time is up here. I'll be glad to. I'm at that Nurses Christian Fellowship exhibit in the exhibit area. If you want to come and find me later, I'll be happy to talk to you.